Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf. How about a cold one on the patio during a nice spring day? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Great to have you with us here on the GM Shuffle. There's lots to get to, including the main event. How about Kenny Main? Uh, I've got a Kenny Main story from my time at ESPN. His interview with Aaron Rodgers, absolutely fantastic. Plus, the Falcons wide receiver Julio Jones says, oh, I'm out of there. We'll predict exactly what's happening with the Falcons wide receiver. But first off, let's talk more about the Packers and Aaron Rodgers. In fact, everyone knows Aaron Rodgers wants out of Green Bay. But why specifically? Well, he cleans it up a little bit, talking to Kenny Main. 27 years at ESPN, his final sports center, as he spoke out for the first time on his conflict with the Packers. Clearly, Kenny Mayne pulled some strings and Aaron Rodgers was there. So why does he want out? Take a listen. It's, it's never been about never been about the draft pick, uh, picking Jordan. I love Jordan. He's a great kid. Uh, I love the coaching staff. Love my teammates. You know, love the fan base in Green Bay. It's incredible, incredible 16 years. It's just kind of about a, a, a philosophy. And maybe forgetting that it is about the people that make the thing go. It's about it's about character. It's about culture. It's about doing things the right way. And a lot of this was put in motion last year, and uh, the wrench was just kind of thrown into it when I won MVP and played uh, the way I played last year. So this is just kind of, I think, uh, the, the spill out of all that. So that's Aaron Rodgers. And what's interesting is this, Mike. He made it clear. He's got no issues with Jordan Love. Thinks he's a good kid. I know everyone thinks it's because he was mad they drafted Jordan Love. His issues about philosophy, character. And as soon as I heard that word, I thought of you. Culture. What do you make of Rodgers' comments? You know, somebody said that it sounded like he was reading Gridiron Genius. I hope he did. <laughs> um, with some of that verbiage. I, I, was, I hope he did. Uh, you know, Look, uh, I I don't ever think it was about Jordan Love. I always thought it was about the idea of Jordan Love. You know, I think sometimes you have to separate what is the you know what is the idea and what and who's actually implementing the idea, and and that's where I think there's a to me there's a disconnect. You know, 
you know, he says he loves everybody, but he doesn't want to play there. And there's got to be more to the story than than just that. I mean, it, it certainly is about money. It certainly is about the team, the direction of the team. I found it, you know, interesting that, you know, he went on with Kenny and he was very honest and he's very forthcoming. And I, and I appreciate that. But to me, there's got to be a way to solve this. Like, I think he's wrong saying Gutekist is the guy who's controlling the culture and the philosophy. Like the culture and the philosophy comes from the guy who has all the power. That's Murphy. Like I, I that's where I get disconnected. Like I don't think Gutekist is walking into the office telling Lafleur, "Hey, motherfucker, this is what I want. You know, this is what I want. Like this is what we're doing." Like I don't get that sense at all. Like I get that they all work for Murphy. They all want to make him happy. And he runs it like the athletic department at Northwestern, which is his right because he's got the title. But I mean, like, seriously, like, do you think that these guys are making these calls that they don't have enough experience to make it? It's coming from somebody. And I just think he's pointing his gun at the wrong guy. Okay. So suppose you're in Aaron Rodgers' circle and you believe that to be the case. And you sit with Aaron Rodgers and go, hey, man, I know you're pissed at Goonquins, but honestly, Murphy's the one pulling the trigger. You know this happens. When you're in an environment sometimes, it's called like misguided anger. It's displaced. So in your view, you were saying that Aaron Rodgers' anger, frustration, whatever, is misplaced. Do you think it's incumbent upon someone in his circle to say, bro, I know you're pissed at Gunnequins and whatever, fine. The guy's a loser. He's a loser. Whatever you want to use. Like as a friend, you would say that. But bro, if you're really pissed, be pissed about Murphy. Like, is that a way that we could solve this because you're mad at the wrong guy? Right. I mean, it's like, like, like seriously, like, I, I mean, I've worked for a dictator. I, you know, everybody could get mad at a position coach at the Raiders, but the, the overall philosophy and the direction was coming from one human being. It was his team. He had all the power. He and he wasn't really a good listener. So it wasn't like you could talk him out of anything. He had his mind made up. And Murphy, the way he splintered this company, it seems to me like if if I'm Dave Dunn and I represent Aaron Rodgers, I'm like, look, bro, we 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 we're at, we're attacking the wrong guy. Now here's what happens: we always take the weakest field, right? We always take the guy who's the most vulnerable. And so I can't get Murphy. So give me Gutekist. I can't get him. He's the president. I can't call him out because they're not going to fire the president. So maybe I'll take one of his shoulders. But do you really think anything's going to change? Like that that was the whole thing with, you know, when you take away, uh, 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 you know, when you take away a leader of a dictatorship, you know, does that mean that the whole thing crumbles? No, of course not. You know, it, it, there's a there's a there's an infrastructure there. And the infrastructure in Green Bay is Murph is in charge philosophically. You know, now maybe he can be pissed off because Gutekus takes defensive backs like like Big Daddy Vince's all the time because nobody complains more than he does about drafting all the defensive backs, and 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 that could be a good right, you know. But to me, like I don't understand how nobody has a relationship with this player from the front office. Like I don't get that. Like I, I I've. I just don't understand it. He's your best player. How did it get this far? And you and he says he likes Lafleur. Well, great, but like, how come nobody said that he's having a real issue here? Like, why did nobody bring it up? And here's the other part of it. So Rogers says the wrench was thrown in when he won MVP. Basically, this to give a baseball analogy, when Roger Clemens was told by the Red Sox he was in the twilight of his career, they move him on. He goes to the Jays, wins two signing awards, goes to the Yankees, wins a World Series, etc. So similarly, it's almost like they told Aaron Rodgers, all right, you're in the twilight of your career. They didn't say this, but they felt it. They draft Jordan Love, and now Rodgers, you know what just happened? I just won MVP. Like, guess what, guys? I'm the best player in football again. So now you're screwed because you thought I was done, and that's where you drafted the heir apparent, and now I'm still here. So 
do you think Rodgers is right? Do you think that they are surprised he's still playing at this high level of play? Or was the Jordan Love always a hedge? Hey, if Rodgers plays great, wonderful. But if not, we have Jordan Love to sit here and be the heir apparent. I think that's what it was. I mean, because you can't deny, you can't deny that Rodgers wasn't the same player you know, now you can say for whatever reasons, okay, whatever the whatever you want to come up with for why he wasn't. Was it the lack of second receiver? Was it the lack of something else? I don't know. But you can't say that Rodgers was in 2020 the same player that he was in 21. You just can't. I mean, his numbers, they don't look, he he averaged seven yards per attempt in 19. He averaged eight two in, in, in 20. He had 48 touchdown passes in 19 in 2020. He had 26 in 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 19. He had 25 in in 18. I mean, he was on a pattern, you know, now 17 he was hurt, but for the most part he was on this you'd have to go back to 14 to duplicate the kind of season that he had. It's really remarkable. And 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 I don't think you could have predicted it. I, I felt the same way with the way Rodgers played with when we drafted Garoppolo in New England. You know, Brady wasn't playing well. I mean, it's a fact. I mean, Tom wasn't playing well in 13. I mean, the, the, that whole 13 team was LeGarrette Blunt running the football. And, you know, and then it got to the playoffs and, you know, Brady had really had no weapons to throw with. I mean, 13 Brady averaged 6-9 per attempt, 25 touchdowns, 11 interceptions. I, everybody kind of thought maybe this is the end. And so the next year he comes back, he gets, you know, he goes up to 7-6, then he goes to 8-2, then he goes to 7-9. All of a sudden he has a resurgence. And I think that sometimes quarterbacks, you, you just, you think that it might be over, but they have these other years. And I think, I think, Really, love was a pick that made sense, but obviously it didn't make sense to 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 Rogers because you know he ended up playing at a higher higher level. As you mentioned, Mike Matt Lafleur is not bothered by the interview, saying Aaron definitely knows how we feel about him, how he's such an important part to our football team, such an important part to our organization. We're just going to continue to try to work through this and hopefully get him back in the building at some point. So. Ten players did not show up for the Packers OTAs. Five of them were the team's top wide receivers. So as far as next steps here, Mike, he's not because okay, so he's pissed at Gunquins. We got that. As you said, he should be pissed at Murphy. Uh, he isn't for whatever reason. He is okay with Lafleur. So it appears, at least from my view, there's some sort of a path to success here. If Lafleur reaches out to him, calms him down, figures it out, and Murphy, I would think, has to somehow do something or Gunquins or something, whatever it is. I, I I don't know why, Mike. I feel like I have more confidence after the interview that they'll figure it out. How about you? I do too. I think because they're not going to trade him. I mean, they're not going to trade him. I mean, they're going to die on the sword. I mean, he's going to have to pay the thirty million bucks back. I mean, they're not going to do that. And why should they? I mean, I think all these issues are resolvable. I mean, you need some detente. You need somebody to come in and have cooler heads prevail, and you need a mediator to kind of fight through this. But you know, like, like understand, like, where's the direction? What, what's your problem? What, what's wrong with the culture? I mean, Gutekas doesn't fix the culture. That's not his job. You know, the philosophy of the team, that's not his job. The character of the team, that, that's partly his job. He puts the players in. But what, what is, like, where could you pin this all? Like, you couldn't convict Gutekas in, in a criminal suit on this, on any of these charges. There's not enough evidence. There's not enough evidence to convict him of anything. And I'm using the I'm using the conviction element to basically disprove why he's so mad at him. 
Not that he should be in, in a court of law again in front of anybody. I mean, so like, like seriously, like if you want to levy charges against somebody who's the philosophy, the direction, the guy who's the king of all kings is Murph. It's Murph. It's like, look, Murph's one of Murph's best friends in the National Football League is John Mara. Okay, John Mara and Mark Murphy are tight, 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 tight. He goes to Murph for all the advice and all that. Okay, I mean, he goes to Mara for all the advice and it's one of his guys. Mara's the same way. Mara runs the Giants. He does it in the background from the president, but he sets the direction. Like, you know, do you remember the scene in Patton when Patton got all pissed off when 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 the when his new age showed up and they said that Rommel wasn't in the battle, that he he defeated some backup? Oh, yeah. Right? yeah. <laughs> and then the. Yeah, and then the aide says to him, he says, well, sir, if you defeated Rommel's plan, you defeated Rommel. <laughs> and of course, you know, George C. Scott loved that line, right? And so he was all happy about it. But that's the point. I mean, Murph isn't Rommel. Murph is, I mean, Murph is the guy making the plan. Don't don't get mad at Goody. Yeah. And th- and that's why I think eventually they're going to figure this out. They'll, I don't know what they're going to do. I mean, give them some more money. I mean, that, that, would, that would help things. But ultimately, I hope they figure it out, especially your Packers fan. Like you said, they're going to die on the sword not trading this guy. Now, the drama between the Texans and Deshaun Watson, that's been well documented. He wants to be traded. So Watson will not attend the Texans' OTAs. Status for the season still in limbo as part of the Houston Police NFL investigation. They're looking into accusations of nearly two dozen sexual misconduct lawsuits filed against him. In the legal system, those cases will not hit the courtroom until 2022 after this NFL season. He is set to make $10.5 million in base salary as part of a four-year extension worth $156 million signed last September. As you and I have said all along, we do not believe Deshaun Watson is going to be traded by the Texans. I believe the, the latest that we were saying, Mike, it's been a couple months ago, but you and I were both speculating. We don't know what's going to happen as far as the status is this year. He wants to hold out, and you think that's a good thing for the Texans. Why is that? Well, it's the best thing for the Texans. They don't have to make a decision. I mean, then they can recoup the signing bonus that they gave them. I mean, him not playing doesn't really affect the Texans one bit because they're not counting on him playing anyway. The other thing it does, it, it, Goodell doesn't have to make a decision. Goodell can continue to wait, and he can continue to wait before he makes a decision and allow him to keep playing or not. And then once he makes a decision, if he suspends him, if he's convicted or however it goes, I mean, then the clock starts running. I mean, this thing flipped now. This thing has flipped completely. I don't give a shit what the media says. This thing's flipped. If you're Nick Cesario, you're sitting there saying, hey, Deshaun, you want to hold out? No problem. Hold out. No problem. We're going to run the team anyway. I mean, because if once you walk in this building, there's a lot of stuff that's going to have to go in motion. The league's going to have to step in. The league, is the league going to allow him to keep playing, knowing he's got 22 suits against him? Whether he's Guinness, We don't know whether he's innocent or guilty. We don't know. Is the league going to allow that? Are they going to put him on the NFI? Are they going to put him on the the suspension list? Are they going to put him on, you know, the exempt list? I mean, everything favors, as much as the story has always been slanted that the Texans have no leverage, slanted by the agent, this has all the leverage. Him not showing up is doing them a favor. If I was recommend, if I, Watson, we got to get in there. We have to figure out what they're going to, what's the league going to do? What's their course of action? We're going to go play. And then if you stop me from playing, then that's a whole different story. Then you can't take my sign and bonus. You can because he's going to be, if the commissioner suspends him. But no one's going to trade for him, knowing, not knowing what the deal is. And that's why it's a problem. I mean, listen, there's plenty of teams that could be a good fit for this guy. We know how talented he is, you know, top five quarterback. But like if you're a GM, 
interested in Watson. How would you even approach this, Mike? Like, as you said, those cases don't hit the courtroom until 2022. So for the Texans, like you said, hey, you want to hold out? Great. We don't have to pay you. So all good. Um, for a team that potentially wants him, how, um, how risky would you be? Would you take the risk of saying, okay, I have to give up a package of players here, draft picks, et cetera, to get this guy for a year? And then, I don't know, I might lose him for a year. I don't know what that penalty could be. How risk averse would you be if you're a GM? Well, you're dealing with the unknown, right? So what do we talk about before on, on this podcast in terms of making decisions? What would have to be true for this to happen? What would have to be true for Deshaun Watson to be the starting quarterback of the Miami Dolphins? Let's start with that. Okay, first thing that would have to be true, he doesn't get suspended. We don't know that, right? The, the second thing that would have to be true is we could trade for him at a value. We don't know that, right? The third thing that would have to be true is he wants to play for Miami. We don't know that. So there's so many variables. How do you trade for him? Like this isn't like we're not drilling oil. We're not going out and speculating here. Okay, well, let's see if we find something because they're going to want, Houston's going to want assets. And the longer... That, that this goes in the direction of we don't know what Deshaun's going to do, it favors Houston. It favors the Texans. They go about their business. They do what they have to do. They clean up the mess that, that's been created by all this. And then, you know, when, it's, when, when everything's been laid out, when we have a clearer path, we make decisions. I mean, you know, one thing I think that, that, that I used to complain, and age helps you, I used to complain when Al Davis used to take so long to do anything. And I felt like his inactivity was really, he just hated to make decisions, which is partly he hated to make decisions because he didn't want to be right or wrong. He wanted to be right. He never wanted to be wrong. And when you make decisions, you're going to, you're going to be wrong sometimes. But I do think the patience that he exhibited, like he knew Gruden was sniffing around trying to get every job. He used to say all the time, every college is Gruden's favorite college, you know? And so when Gruden's going to go to Ohio State or Gruden's going to Notre Dame or Gruden, oh, that's his favorite college. That's, he's, that's his hometown. Every town's his hometown. Well, you know, by waiting it out, he ends up breaking the, 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 the bucks for draft picks for him and money because eventually that came to fruition. So I think the best thing Nick can do to Cesario, the GM of the, of the Texas, is just wait. Just wait the goddamn thing out. Just take your time and see what happens. And then when you have all the data in front of you, say, all right, let's, let's say he gets suspended for a year. Okay? Yeah. Let's say, he's, let's say he gets convicted and he's suspended for a year and he's got to pay all these cases, you know, money back. Okay? Now we know what the commissioner does. Now we, have to, now we can deal with it. Now we'll find out what the value is. Say he's not convicted. Say he's found innocent of all charges. Now we know. And then he doesn't want to be here. Now we know. But until you know one way or the other, it makes no sense to do anything. You're not losing any value. Frankly, the longer you wait, you may increase the value. And that's where I think you're right. Before, everyone kept thinking, oh my God, Deshaun Watson's got the Texans over the barrel. No, now the balance of power has shifted away from player towards the team. Coming up next, Julio Jones says, I'm out of there when talking about the Falcons. But did he even know he was on live TV? June 1st, fast approaching. Why that date has such a big impact on your NFL team. Next. All right, anytime you're on the golf course, you always hear the phrase, hit it long and hit it straight. Well, as somebody who's a novice to the game of golf, a new person, I wanted to make sure I had the best equipment possible. So... 
as a novice golfer, I went and hit up our friends over at PXG because they have an all-new driver called the Black Ops. I mean, my man Chris over in Henderson has hooked me up with a phenomenal driver that's built to my game. My new game that doesn't really do much of anything on the course, but it has what I need in terms of the club head speed and the kind of grip that I need to go out there and be the best to my ability. I mean, this is music to ears to any golfer, whether you're a novice like myself or if you've been playing the game for decades. The PXG Black Ops driver is a breakthrough in driver technology. It's a complete and total victory in golf club engineering unlike anything you've ever seen before. Black Op drivers are adjustable to deliver a combined MOI of 10,000 plus for unreal forgiveness. That's just ridiculously high. So what you got to do, go check out the PXG Black Ops driver. You'll be as impressed with it as I am. Learn more and get free shipping on all equipment at pxg.com slash gmshuffle and use code gmshuffle at checkout. That's pxg.com slash gmshuffle, code gmshuffle for free shipping on all equipment, pxg.com slash gmshuffle, code gmshuffle. All right, Monday on FS1's Undisputed. Shannon Sharp called Julio Jones on his cell phone. This was so bizarre, Mike. I don't know if you saw it. I saw it on Twitter. No. He called him on his cell phone live on the air. He put him on a speakerphone and then just started talking to him. And he asked him questions about his future. Uh, Jones said, I'm out of there. When Sharp asked him about staying in Atlanta and said, I want to win. Tuesday, Chris Sims of Pro Football Talk reported Julio had no idea he was live on the air. My first thought here, Mike, is the fact that Julio got sandbagged by Sharp. Could you imagine in your wildest dreams, I'm recording Cinephile. No, no, it's going to be TV. Okay, I'm on MLB Network. And for some reason, we bring up um, Al Davis. And I go, let me call my friend Mike Lombardi. I call you. I go, hey, Michael, they're just running with us, blah, blah, blah. And then I don't tell you you're on TV. And afterwards, it gets out. Do you know how incensed you would be with me? You'd be like Phil Leotardo oh. looking to murder me, Tony Jr. Like, Burke, are you fucking kidding me? You're going to tell me this shit. I just can't believe he got sandbagged by his buddy like this. That's my first thought. Yeah. Uh, let me tell you a couple, two, three things here, uh, like Phil would do. Uh, first, there's no scraps in his scrapbook, right? You know, and there's no compromise. I, I mean, I was, look, to me, the story, like, why, this is what I don't understand, is what is the story here other than than Julio saying he wants out, Right. Like, I get the, the procedure around getting that information. But we talked last week of the five places they were going to trade him to. I mean, is it a, was it a secret that he was getting traded? I mean, is that a secret? And once a player knows that he's been tr- wanting to be traded, do you think there's ever a chance to recoup it back? I mean, Iverson knew he was getting traded to Detroit. Matt Geiger said, no, fuck you. I, I'm, not, I, I'm, not, I'm not accepting that trade. So he had to come back. But... I mean, most of the time in the NFL, you trade a, you know, you try to trade a player, the player gets pissed off. He ain't coming back. So you know he wants out. I mean, I just didn't understand that. I mean, I don't like the whole, it's like Twitter just went to went to national television. Don't you think? A hundred percent. That's the thing. If someone said to me, well, what's the headline? It's just that Julio Jones, like you said, I'm out of there. He knows he's out of there. That's not crazy. The crazy thing is just the way it came about and the fact that Shannon Sharp called him. It goes back to what we were saying before. He's going to move somewhere. When you look at other blockbuster wide receivers, Stephon Diggs, DeAndre Hopkins, Brandon Cooks, I think I'm with you. I don't think Julio Jones is as good as some people think. I don't, certainly don't think he's as good as Stephon Diggs was when the Bills got him. Right, and he's not in the prime of his career. Plus, he's got durability issues. But he's certainly someone that is going to draw attention. Yes. 
and he's going to be someone who's out there that you say, hey, look, we got Julio out there. Like if New England traded for him, he would give New England, he would make Bourne, Aguilar, uh, all those guys better players. He would make everybody, Jacoby Myers, you know, if Keneal Harry ever plays, he would make them all better. I mean, if he went to Tennessee, he would give them a legitimate number one receiver. And so we know he's going to make another team better. You know, you got to have to decide on how you want to handle the money. What are you going to do with the money? You got three years. Can he play three years? I think you got to sit there and ask yourself the question again. What would have to be true for us to trade this player, right? To get this player, he'd have to play at least two really good years. If I'm going to give up a a second round pick, then I'm going to hope I get two really good years and a third year, right? I'm, I'm, I'm giving up value because I should get four years out of a second round pick. But that's, you know, I, I'm going to lose. But what he means to my team, like we didn't talk about this last week. Like, a, I mean, Jacksonville's so busy signing Tebow, you know, and selling jerseys. Like, to me, Julio for Jacksonville would be a smart play. Get a veteran in their room, get somebody who understands how to play, somebody who knows how to play, teach the younger kids how to be pros. You know, you're going to pay him 30 million, whatever you're going to pay him, it doesn't matter because he's helping you lay your culture down. That would be a smart trade for Jacksonville. But, you know, I mean, I don't know if they would do it, nor would Julio want to go. See, the, the reality here is, though, AD, Julio doesn't have a no-trade clause in his contract. Right. So he can't sit there and say, well, I don't want to go there. He, he, you got to go, bro. Unless you retire, you got to go. That's a great point. One of the weirdest parts of the clip is when <laughs> Skip Bayless, who everyone knows is a Cowboys fan, starts saying, what about the Cowboys? He's like, no, I'm not coming out. I want to win. And Sharp starts making fun of him. You're right. I had the same thought. I go, hey, that's fine that you're crapping on the Cowboys, but like, that's not up to you. Like, <laughs> I don't like, like, that's fine. Like, okay, congratulations. But bro, like, wherever you're going, you're going. And I, listen, ultimately, I think you're right. If the team feels like they're one wide receiver away from a championship, then I'd overpay for Julio Jones. And I think there's going to be a market for him. But I don't think this is a Stephon Diggs type. Remember, the Vikings got a first, a fifth, a sixth, a fourth. Like, they got a lot of picks for this guy. Julio Jones, you're going to get a package. But I think it has to be that team because, you know what, we're willing to overpay because they're one wide receiver away. As you and I talked about last week, maybe it's the Rams. Maybe McVay goes, you know what, fuck it. Let's just go ahead and get Julio Jones. We have this unbelievable set of wide receivers. You need someone to act a little crazy to get what you want if you're Atlanta. Right. I mean, I think if you're San Francisco, you know, I think I think he could act that way. I mean, you know, Kyle knows him. He certainly would add a dimension to his team. But to me, you know, I think that, look, why not just, if you're Atlanta, here's what if you're Atlanta, if I'm Terry Fontenot, right, I'm going to make this a June 1 designation. If, if I trade for you before June 1, say I do a deal with New England and we agree on a second round pick, right? And contingent that we're going to do it on June 1st so that we can transfer the money and book all that. I mean, you could do it, but then all of a sudden you're bidding against, then then he goes around and shops that deal. Well, I got a two out of New England. Could you do better than that? You know what I mean? Can can you do better than this? What, What would you give me for that? So if you're a team, you kind of want to play this to where you kind of have a sense that, hey, you could talk to the player and know you're going to restructure. The player wants to go where you are where you are to help you to not get outbid. Okay, so speaking of teams making moves, June 1st is fast approaching. It may not like seem like it's an important date. But NFL calendar, it's got implications. So explain to us, Mike, I did not know this. 
Why is June 1st such an important date in layman's terms? Well, in layman's terms, basically it does is it's, it, it, it satisfies the cap. You cut a player and you don't have to take his acceleration until next year's cap. So you basically, you, you basically take the money and you dump it into the 2022 cap. So it saves you when the cap may go up even more. You've got a better opportunity with that. So, you know, I mean, that and June one is always the trigger. Now you can post June one some trades. I mean, like the like the Eagles, the Eagles post uh, you know Alshon Jeffrey. They post certain guys and they do it early and then they get credit for it. But they still have to carry the number until they get to June one and then they get the free money. So you know that that's what June one is all about. It be, it becomes the way to dump money into the following year. Well, and, and that's going to be interesting because players cut or traded before June 1st to have their prorated bonus money count towards the current year's salary cap. And as we've talked about, Mike, the cap is so critical because teams use this rule to plan their offseason moves. As you said long in advance when COVID was happening, hey, the cap is going to change everything. So how will this impact matters over the next couple of weeks? Well, I mean, you know, anybody who a team that's been holding on to, like the the Giants, not the Giants, the uh, Washington cut Morgan Moses, and they cut any guy that you know that you want to get rid of that you've been carrying, a veteran guy that has a, a huge cap influence, you know, where you can then dump the money. It, it used to be a big day. But because they were because teams were able to do it early in the season, it's not as as impactful as the June one. The other thing by cutting June one guys, you know, it helps because it they, they don't count towards your they don't count towards the the uh, the compensatory picks which are over with now. So you, they're they're free agents. So I think you could see you know I mean look there's some teams that still have to create room. I mean the Saints, the Bears, the Packers. You know, the Falcons, they all have to create room just to get their draft picks signed. They're going to have to do something to be able to do that. And once they do, it'll usually come with cutting a guy after June 1. Yeah, it's it's interesting just the way it works. It really is. Other news to pass along here in the NFL is Adam Vinatieri. I mean, one of the all-time greats saying goodbye to the NFL. Obviously, Mike, you saw him in his prime, hitting huge kicks to the Patriots. I remember during the season, you and I were talking about the struggles he was having. It looked like the ending was near. Listen, it's always tough for everybody near the end of their career, but Vinatieri in his prime, one of the all-time great clutch kickers. What do you got on Vinatieri? Well, I mean, look, I sat there at Foxborough Stadium, and you know, after the tuck rule was 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 pulled out of the NFL's ass that I never heard of before, you know, I watched this guy hit a one iron in the middle of the goddamn snowstorm, you know, and, it, and I don't think that ball got twelve feet off the ground. I don't know how the hell we didn't tip it, but he hit a one iron, you know, whatever how many yardage it was. I mean, just remarkable, remarkable. And you know, if if you ask Bill, I mean, and and, and Bill's those kickers really well. I mean, he's obviously, he understands them, but you know, he had one of the things that Bill would often say is, you know, the biggest, one of the mistakes he made in terms of Bill's job of evaluating the team when he gets it is he takes it obviously very seriously. And he has a lot of methodology to it. Much like what I wrote about, 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 the reps that Tim Tebow's getting and how to work the reps because that's ultimately what he knows is his job. But one of the things when he had to cut Robbie Gould, because he had Robbie Gould and Vinatieri in camp at the same time. And I think that cutting of him was one of the most disappointing, you know, he knew he was a good player, but he had to cut him. And that's really, you know, a tribute to Vinatieri who was so good that he couldn't go with the younger guy. And ultimately, you look at, like, if you look at great kickers, like, it's in a very short list, right? When you say Vinatieri, 
There's not many other names you put up on that list. That is always the key to me. You can disparage whatever you want. Oh, he's just a kicker, not that important. When you say, hey, there's Vinatieri and Morton Anderson and very few others, listen, that's a remarkable career he can be proud of that he put up there. No doubt. I mean, look, and he did it over time. And I think, you know, when he was smart too, like, you know, he he knew that if he left New England and kicking in that environment to go into a dome, I don't, I don't think it's a sign of weakness. I think it was a sign of intelligence, right? Like I can extend my career longer by kicking in this dome. I mean, why not do it? Why not do it? Exactly. Why not do it? Adam Vinatieri, certainly a remarkable career. Wish him nothing but the best moving forward. Ex-Browns quarterback, Jim McManus, he did words for Bill Belichick. He called him a lying piece of shit. We have the team's GM at the time co-hosting this podcast. That's right. We get the real story with Jim McMahon next. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. I mean, the second round of the playoffs have been absolutely phenomenal, and if you really like a team, you can bet on them for the futures markets, maybe some conference finals MVPs as the conference finals approach, or how about NBA finals MVP? And if you're new to DraftKings, you gotta check this out. New customers bet five bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code SHUFFLE. That's code SHUFFLE for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just five bucks only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available. For problem gambling, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please pay responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. So how about this story? Not often my guys getting called out by Jim McMahon, but this is James in Calgary who asked this question. So send us your mailbag questions at gmshuffle at gmail.com. Feel free to send us a message on Instagram at the GM Shuffle. Mike, could you please give your side of the Jim McMahon, Bill Belichick, 1995 hallway story? We'd be very interested to hear your recollections. Uh, Here's what McMahon's quote were, and then Mike will tell us the full version. Because the one thing you know about Mike, he's going to tell you the truth. This is McMahon to ESPN 850 in Cleveland. I confronted Lombardi at the time. He's coming down the hallway and I said, hey man, I need my money. My wife was just in a wreck. I don't want to deal with insurance. He looks at me and says, well, maybe we'll pay you. Maybe we won't. And I lost it. I just snapped. I grabbed him by the neck and threw his head against the wall. And he said, you're going to pay me my money. Then I started realizing what I was doing. And I'm looking around the hallway to see if there's any cameras. I stopped hitting him and he slid down the wall. This is like an incident at the Bing. This is like Tony taking out Georgie here, Mike. I didn't know this happened to you. Did they have cameras in 95? Did they have cameras in 95? No, I mean, seriously. Did they have fucking, did they have cameras in 95? No. Like, like Jim could be a tremendous novelist. Do you actually think for a minute that somebody would throw me up against the wall that we would want to sign up? His agent was Steve Zucker. God rest his soul. He's not here. Steve Zucker could could certainly straighten it out. I think Jim's timeline is a little off, uh, like a lot of the stories, a little off. But you know, Jim has his opinion. You know, he played one game for the Packers last in '95. He was on the Packers roster, so 
for me, cameras, there's no cameras in our building. There were no cameras in 95 in anywhere, any building. The internet was barely fucking running. I mean, seriously. Like, I don't know, you know, look, I don't know where this came from. I have no idea. You know, he can hate Bill all he wants. Bill's really honest with players. Bill told him the truth. We had two quarterbacks on the team that year. We had Eric Zire. And we had Vinny Testaverde, you know, and we had a bunch of injuries to start the season. We were a Super Bowl contending team, and the owner moved the team. And that's, I don't know this story. I don't know it. I don't understand it. I think his timeline is way off. It's just bizarre. Like, I mean, listen, I've heard a lot of stories with Jim McMahon over the years, Mike, you know, outspoken, outrageous, brash, all the rest of it. I, listen, I respect him. He's a tough guy, tough quarterback. I get that. But just, it just seems so bizarre. Like, for a headline like that, that just seems like you're just trying to court controversy. When you call Bill Belichick a lying piece of shit, you go, come on, what are we doing here? Right? Well, I mean, like, it was like, what were we in an alley? Was I in an alley somewhere? <laughs> like, if, if I was in the office building and he threw me up against the wall, was I in an alley somewhere where nobody could see it? I mean, if, 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 the Cleveland Brown facility, you know, Belichick's office was surrounded by Linda Leone, who's now Nick Saban's secretary. My office was, Ann Pershy was in front of it. I had Pat Hill across the hall, Ellis Rainsberger. Like, do you think anybody else would have seen it? Like, we weren't in some alley. Like, seriously. Like, I have no idea what he's talking about. Got thrown up against the wall. I mean, it's really kind of, and then he's worried about video cameras in 1995. I mean, did he watch Luther or something? I mean, I know there's a ton of cameras over in London, but I mean, did we have video cameras? Somebody was recording shit in the building? We had a security camera when you walked in the building, but I don't remember any cameras in anybody's building. So it's just, to me, it's just a, you know, I will say this. Remember when is the lowest form of conversation you could have. And this proves it. There it is. Nailed it. Um, A couple more. Colt putting too much faith in Carson Wentz considering his past performance and injuries. That's from Steve Dumanel on Instagram. I don't think so. I mean, look, I think Frank Wright, you know, I thought he got Phillip Rivers to play better than I thought Rivers could play. And I thought Rivers was done halfway through the season. But yet I thought he got him to play an acceptable way and took Buffalo as far as they could take him in that game. So I have a lot of faith in 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 Frank Wright's ability to really not put the game on on. Wentz's plate. I mean, look, when Wentz was really good in 17, the Eagles were one of the best running teams in football. Now, they hate running the ball. I mean, they hate running the ball. The owner hates calling pass run plays. They hate running the ball, but they controlled the pace of the game when he was there. I just think it'll be a better it'll be a better setup for Wentz than it was in Philly. Yeah, it's it's definitely going to be an interesting situation. I think that he is a good quarterback. There's no question about it, but I think there's a challenge. Obviously, he's regressed if there's anybody that can fix him, it's Frank Wright. That's the biggest thing here. Last thought before we get to the pop culture minute. B Dicks72 on Instagram, which NFL GM or coach would benefit most from a sit-down with Uncle Junior? So I'm gonna twist that and just go owner, because everyone knows he's the GM, and say Jerry Jones. Could you imagine Uncle Junior giving Jerry Jones the business? I I I would pay money for that. It'd be oh incredible. You would sell out Cowboys Stadium. You would sell out Jerry's world. A hundred thousand oh people watching Uncle Junior just tear apart Jerry Jones. <laughs> Could you imagine he'd start off by saying, look, look, Jerry, I've been farting in the same cushion for 20 years. I mean, like, seriously, here's what I know. Here's what I know. You know, uh, it's, you steer the ship the best you can, you know? Uh, and, uh, you, you know, Jerry, you may run Dallas, but you don't run North Jersey. I mean, could you imagine how good that would be? Amazing. Amazing. I mean, I think that's one of the things that I love about writing the Daily Coach as one of the writers of the Daily Coach and writing all the time is you get these ideas like, 
when I wrote the Tebow column for The Athletic this week, which, you know, I talked about all the things that, you know, I, I quoted Tony's meeting with with Neil Mink uh, because, you know, Neil Mink says, hey, Tony, the 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 FBI is a business. They're not going to come after you if they don't if they're not going to get a reward. You know, and it's the same thing in the NFL. They're not going. You're not going to spend time working on a player if you're not going to get a reward. That's my point. And people say, "Well, you love the Sopranos pop culture references you, because they carry over in life." I mean, literally, you could teach a course in leadership on The Godfather. You could also teach a course on depression, but you also teach a course on the on why we needed Prozac. Like seriously, this is why we needed Prozac. Look at these miserable bastards over here. Speaking of miserable, has everybody on Mayor of Easttown miserable? Oh my God. Have you, found, have you watched that yet? So I've got two episodes left. I thought it was six episodes and I thought my wife and I could finish it. Mike, this is where words like grim, morose, downbeat, sullen, like those words come to mind. I, I don't even know if it's good to be honest with you. Like I like Kate Winslet. I think she's a good actress. I'm curious where it's going, but that is a downbeat show. Everyone is just depressed in Pennsylvania. Everyone's looking for a Wawa's and a vape. That's it. How, who treats people like this? I mean, like the kid who got his, the kid who got, who thought he was the father of the baby screams at his parents. Like who treats your parents like that? <laughs> like, how do you do that? Like, I, I'm appalled by that. Like I'm watching this guy. I couldn't imagine Mick or Matthew screaming at me like that. You know, meanwhile, I'm going to be like a wimpy dog. Oh, okay. I'll take it. You know, like, I mean, seriously. No, that kid was like, such how a do you treat people like that. <laughs> it was awful. That kid was terrible like i mean what kind of human being is that like what are you did you raise a did you raise a like a, a deranged person like you look like two nice people and you got this lunatic over here and then the girlfriend remember her in the beginning she's absolutely nuts i mean i know, kate winslow in the last episode uh the mother gene smart wore a seattle city sweat t-shirt uh sweatshirt which was great and we got kate winslet winslet to wear a ocean city one so that made my day but my she's a remarkable actress i mean make no mistake about it i actually thought I, and I don't know what's going to happen in the season finale, but I actually thought the writer was the guy doing all of it, but they kind of went in a different direction. So, you know, I kind of have, I, I have the opinion, but it's great. It's well-written. I don't mind it, but God, everybody's just so fucking rude to one another. What happened to matters, AD? What happened? Can't we be nice? Can't we have a conversation? <laughs> How about the scene when, uh, oh, guys, Kate Winslet is out with a younger guy and, and basically all he cares, all she cares about is the case. And like he says, he goes, you know, my mom said that whatever, like, you know, you're only doing this just because you can stay close to the case. And she just stares at him. And he goes, this is where you're supposed to say that's not the case. And she leaves. <laughs> How horrible does that guy feel? Horrible. Who raises people like this? I don't understand it. Like, why do we treat people like that? I don't get it. Yeah, it's just, it's so ridiculous. Um, before we close up shop, the Underground Railroad, I know you're on vacation. I know you're back now. Have you finished the book or the show? I know you were you were wrapped up in both. I, I'm on I'm on episode. We're ready to go to episode eight. I think it's marvelous. I mean, it, I'm, I I can only say that I'm on my on pins and needles every episode. I keep thinking somebody's coming around the corner. I couldn't imagine living a life where you were constantly looking over your shoulder like these slaves that are able to get on the railroad and go north and get into some, even though they're in a free state or a free slave state, they're still really not free by the judge and all the laws of the land. But uh, I mean, I think Colton uh, White Whitehead is in a room. I just finished Nickel Boys, the book, when I was on vacation in Sarasota. I mean, the guy's an incredible, incredible writer, just a remarkable writer. All right, great stuff there, as always here on the GM Shuffle. Uh, please support us and honestly, be nice to your parents, okay? Like Michael said, if you're lucky enough to still have them in your life, like don't be a shithead to them, okay? That's it here on the GM Shuffle. Ha, ha, ha.